0: ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to the music lab podcast my name is dog and i am so excited and honored to be with mr paul cullen chef sommelier and guitarist welcome paul
1: hey chad how you doing
0: i'm doing wonderful my friend so, ladies and gentlemen as always make sure to like follow subscribe to our youtube channel or our social media pages that only helps us that helps the bands um and also check out our sponsor Raw outfitters that's r-a-w-r outfitters.com they're doing a 10 sale right now so check that out as well so paul thank you so much for doing this uh i know you're a busy man um i i it could be possibly called you could be called a renaissance man uh with everything that you do uh is that fair to say
1: yeah yeah i mean i i've been called that a while back uh when all this was coming together i i always think renaissance like i wear you know a velvet jacket with a ruffled shirt (laughs) and i eat big turkey legs
0: (laughs) with no utensils
1: right exactly yeah
0: so so let's talk about, you know, as I said in the intro, uh, as, as a chef, um, you know, let's talk about currently how, how this year, how is 2023 uh, for you, like accomplishment wise, um, you know, in that field? What what, what were you excited about that, that you did this year?
1: Well, I think, you know, we've, uh, you know, my, my job as a chef is uh, to come to your house and cook for you or do corporate events, which I've done more of those lately. So we had a few of those this year. Uh, but just on the overall, you know, we're going to be well over 220, uh, events just cooking for people, uh, in, uh, 2023. Um, but one of the, my favorite ones was I went to Aspen. Um, this group flew me out there. Uh, they're called the Pernod Ricard group. They own, um, uh, Jameson's Irish whiskey and absolute vodka, Kahlua, maybe my favorite bourbon rabbit hole, um. So they flew me and my assistant Nina out there and uh, to the Hotel Jerome and um, we cooked for 18 of their higher ups and uh, in the in a private room and we set up a table and I made risotto for everybody right in front of them. And um, that was really special. Um, And then we did a VIP um, at a casino in New York at the Tioga Downs Casino, uh, which is kind of south of the Finger Lakes And we did a hundred people there uh, of their VIPs and they all have to spend over 200,000 a year, (laughs) you know, in at the casino. So I was like, wow, this is, this is right in my wheelhouse, you know? So, uh, so those are sort of the, the, the semi highlights. I mean, I love what I do and I love cooking for people. Um, A lot of times in this area, it's um, it's for families that are getting together here in the, uh, you know, the Delmarva area, which is, you know, Delaware, Maryland and uh, Virginia. Um, so that's been fun. I love seeing families get together and I cook for them and they all sit at one table and and um, get to, um, you know, enjoy each other's company for the most part. And, uh, and there are people that have many, you know, families that haven't gotten together in a year, you know, so it's, that's really fun. And then some of my favorite are birthday parties, you know, um, 60th, 65th, 70th um and sometimes there's surprises which are really cool because we knock on the door and the birthday person opens the door and they're like oh my god paul cullen's here i'm like where (laughs) you know so that's that's a lot of fun too but on a just on a regular basis you know cooking for people um you know and then you know pouring my wines from italy and then playing music afterwards it's just each each event is different but each event is lovely
0: so so now that you've been doing corporate events, and but you kind of started out doing it in people's houses and using their own kitchens, how is that dynamic different other than like the obvious reasons?
1: Yeah, well, obvious reason, I'm in a commercial kitchen, uh, like I was at the Hotel Jerome. Uh, with that being said, that night, they had a 200-person, 10-course wine dinner that they had to perform, plus the restaurant was open. So during the day, while I was prepping in the kitchen uh, with the chefs and everybody was awesome and, you know, of course, you know, the bad company thing came up and people were like, wow, how cool is that? The guy's at bad company's in our kitchen, you know? So uh, um, what I did suggest is that I, like I said, I cooked in that room with them. They set me up a table with some burners. And so I didn't have to be in all that chaos, um, you know, which would have been fine, except I just thought it would, the experience would be better me cooking for them right in the room. You know, which was uh, which was cool. So so the difference on that is, you know, being in a commercial kitchen and having, uh, you know, uh, some help from the chefs and uh, sous chefs and, you know, servers and all that. Where like me and my my assistant Nina roll in and we do 20 people in somebody's house without a problem.
0: Yeah. Um, So let's talk about then where you got your inspiration for cooking um your grandmother um italian obviously so that is kind of your backbone of your cooking um talk about like that relationship and and how that kind of came about
1: well i think uh growing up eh, we were kind of like on um, my big fat greek wedding we we lived right next door to my grandparents and uh and I'm the oldest of 31 grandchildren. And my mom was the oldest of all the all the kids also. And uh 31. She was a working mom back in the early 60s, you know, um, when you know, when I was born, and um choose to hand me off to my grandmother. My grandmother was always in the kitchen. So I truly, you know, and then my mom would go to work and I'd hang out with my grandmother all day. And I truly, my first memories are being in the kitchen with my grandmother. And I just, you know, growing up, and, and you know, sadly she passed away when I was 15, but I got to hang out with her a lot. And I saw the Italian way, even though I didn't know that that's what that was, until I went to Italy. And we we would go to a uh, you know, my first experience in Italy would go to a winery and uh and uh we walked into the the main house and there's Nona and Grandma looking at how many people. That just walked in the door and what are they going to make and they run right over to the, the the kitchen and start whipping up some food and my grandmother was the same way uh somebody would pull in the yard and she would she would go oh Polly, oh Polly, what am i going to make them you know and i said i don't, i was thinking to myself well they didn't even come in the door yet they, they might not even be hungry but it didn't matter right you know so so i saw that uh that italian way and again i didn't know it was cool uh, like I do now, you know, like, cause I've seen it in Italy done that way. So, so that was my inspiration later on in life was that same sort of thing, just cooking for whoever came over the house. And in fact, that's how in-home dining got started. I, me and my wife loved to have people over for dinner. Well, we had a table for 10 at the time. We picked two different, you know, we picked different couples and, um, and see if we could kind of connect them, you know, like social networking sort of way. And, um, and that's how it started. Cause a friend of mine, uh, that went to one of my dinners said that um hey, can you do this dinner at my my wife's surprise birthday party for ten people and I said, of course and then he said, can you bring your guitar and play a couple songs? I'm like, oh, now I'm gonna have to charge you so uh, I wasn't gonna charge him first I didn't I don't even think I charged him but so yeah I went over there and cooked for him and I played guitar and I was on a local radio station the next morning and they said, what do you do what would you do last night I said I cook for people at their house for a party. And I played music afterwards and everybody's like, what? I said, yeah, you know, that's, that's what I did, you know? And the owner of the radio station heard me and uh, called me about halfway home from Ocean City and said, hey, we got friends coming and we think it would be a really cool thing to do a dinner uh, and have you come and, and do your dinner and play music. And uh, that was, that let they say it was 2014. It was just December 28th, 2014 and that was my first dinner and then he actually paid me double what i charged him i was like hey i like this <laughs> you know and then it just full on the first year uh which would have been 2015 i did 14 events and the last 3 years we've done over 220
0: so was the radio station ocean 98 or what was. was the
1: yep yeah. late in- yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah uh so i lived in ocean city maryland for seven years um okay. and i lived in rehoboth for two so I, i'm oh, very awesome. familiar so what oh, yeah. what what brought you down to lewis you know what is it about that area and what is it about like as you said delmarva that's that's so in enchanting
1: <laughs> i know i just absolutely love it um i came here on vacation just a little over 22 years ago uh because a friend of mine uh, michael daisy he's a drummer he needed a uh he needed a bass player. Uh, and he was in the band that I was in that it was our band that I went from, from boys of summer to bad company, bad company. And, um, uh, so I, I left Florida after bad company. He moved back to Delaware. Uh, cause that's in Florida is where we knew each other. And okay. uh, he called me, I actually he had to call like eight Paul Collins in Buffalo. And he finally got me on the phone. I didn't know there was that many Paul Collins. Uh, but, um yeah he said hey man what are you doing I said well I'm freezing my ass off and I'm sick of shoveling snow he goes I got a great gig for you man why don't you come to Delaware and I got a band that he's a bass player I'm like you know what I was thinking of getting out of here out of Buffalo because we just had a horrendous winter like they did last year and um not that good winters happen in Buffalo but th- these are extra worse uh <laughs> and you know so I I I somehow made it down here uh fourth of July weekend of 2001 and Truly kind of fell in love with the place right away. And I didn't really have any expectations. I remember driving to ocean city and coming back, uh, over the Indian river bridge. And I was like, wow, this is beautiful. So we had a great time. Um, and on the last night, I went to see the band that I was going to play in and, um, and the band was okay. Uh, but I was thinking I need to get out of Buffalo, you know, so, uh, so, I was gonna I was gonna move here I, I pretty much sure I was gonna move here but in through the door that night walks this blonde with tattoos and braces and um hot blonde and uh, I was just newly single and we uh yeah now that's my wife Bonnie that's why I'm going on date night with tonight so
0: that's a great story and how long have you guys been married now
1: uh eighteen years yeah, yeah. so.
0: Did it take a lot of convincing to to get her to come here too? Oh, she was already here. Oh, okay, okay.
1: Sorry, okay. she was already she was at that bar uh, that I went to see the band. It was okay. Irish Eyes in Lewis. Yep, yep. Before it yep. burned down twice, but uh, anyways, uh, yeah. So she came in there. She knew the band, so I ended up sitting at the band table with them, and then she asked me to dance, and I danced, and then I went up there, and kicked ass on bass, and wowed everybody, and uh, and then wowed her, and then ten days later, I was back. And uh, she had already been here for two years. So, uh, yeah, and it was it was cool when I got here. I didn't you know, the band was fine, uh, but it was really hard, you know, um, unless you played in a situation like I did in Bad Company. Um, it's really hard to understand how hard it is to go play Irish Eyes. You know what I mean? Instead of playing Merriweather Post in front of 16000 people, you know, so I had. I had a lot of inner demons on all that and how all that worked. And I I really didn't want to do that. And so I did different things. I did drywall with my friend who was the drummer and I did painting and I did decks and I ended up being a mortgage broker at one time, all because I didn't want to play bass at Irish eyes, you know, and, uh, and then it worked out in 2007, I switched to guitar and that's when everything got better. You know, I was kind of meandering through and uh just kind of making a living enjoying my life with my wife and uh you know and our doggies and then uh then it just kind of took off from when I switched to guitar and started writing my own songs the cooking thing didn't start yet because that was still seven years later but I still love to cook for people you know so so yeah then I was kind of on my way and and here I am now with a whole bunch of stuff going on <laughs> it's crazy
0: yeah 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 so yeah so um let i i want to ask so a lot of the families that you or a lot of the houses that you um, have done let's just say this year how many of them would you say ask you um cooking questions while you're cooking and then also how many of them share like their own like recipes or like will say like hey you know, have you ever made this or this is how I make it? Like, I'm sure you get some great stories, right? Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. Just like this kitchen you have in your background, uh, yeah, people love to hang out in the kitchen. In fact, I, I find it quite boring when they're in another room, uh, because I've, I've done so many dinners, I've done 1600 dinners now, you know, and you know, I got it down, you know, and I know how things happen. And my assistant Nina is awesome, she takes care of the charcuterie board and the apps, and then know she just works the room and i'm it's like we're like a well-oiled machine i i walk in now i roll in a tall toolbox uh then i open it up and all my knives and all my stuff's in it and spices and everything i need i don't have to go into any of the drawers when i go to somebody's house so so yeah they love it it, for most for most the most part they love hanging out in the kitchen with me and asking me questions uh, not only about the food, but about my past and, you know, and, and being a musician and all that, you know, so, gotcha. uh, you know, so it, it's really cool. And then, yeah, somebody will say, Hey, how how do you make yours? And I'm showing them. They're like, Oh, I didn't know that. I usually do it this way. I'm like, well, try it this way, you know? So yeah, a lot of banter going on in between and, and you know, while they're drinking, uh, you know, my starter wine, which is Lambrusco, you know, just kind of hanging out. And if you're standing next to Nina while she's fixing uh, the charcuterie board, she just hands off cheese and salami to you, you know? So so I, I really love that part of the, uh, a part of the event, you know, and a lot of times it's just the owners or the hosts, you know, that while, you know, before all the guests get there. Mm-hmm. So we really get to know everybody, you know, they're always like, Oh, we'll leave you alone. We'll, we'll go. And I'm like, no, no, hang out, you know, pour a glass of wine, you know? And then of course they ask me if I want one. Of course I, I say yes. Cause it would be rude not to, you know? So, uh, so we just kind of start the conversation and get to know each other and, uh, I really love that part because, because getting to know your clients, you know, on a personal basis, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah.
0: It's, it's the true art of connecting, right?
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I have, I started out with a small circle. That was Paul Cullen, the musician. And then it was Paul Cullen, the chef and then sommelier and then travel. And now we have a concert room, as you probably know, where the Fitzky brothers play and, and we have, we've had Tony, Tony Levin from Peter Gabriel and, you know, uh, John Ford Coley. And I, it's just, the list goes on Robert Randolph's played there twice, you know, so, so I'm getting my circles getting bigger and bigger. So you either have gone to my concert venue or done a dinner, bought my wine or traveled with me or all four, you know, right. and when I do the dinners, it's a really good opportunity for me to get to know the client and, um, for, and then to find out what we're doing next, you know, we're going to Tuscany and 2025 or whatever it may be you know i really the connection is super cool
0: so that's a good segue talk about the culinary travels that you guys are doing in 2024 you're doing four of them correct
1: uh we got three three okay yeah Yeah, we have barbados in uh january which we just did this january and we're taking 70 people on a tall sailing ship and it's uh 437 feet long it only holds 200 people and uh has a hundred staff, so it's a one to two ratio, and uh, the ship actually sails. It's the only one that size um, that actually sails, and it's modeled after the old tall sailing ships. and um, it has uh, five masts and fifty five sails. and It when when there's the wind, man, you, you, they shut off the engines and you're gone. And they always have this big, big uh, sort of uh, presentation, you know, when they pull up the sails and they have LED lights and they have like Game of Thrones style music on, you know, or Viking music. And, and they all run out there with their striped shirts on and khaki pants and pull up the sails. And uh, it's just a great, great experience. And uh, we do a lot of fun stuff. So that's in Barbados. And so we just kind of hang around in those islands, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, uh, Grenadines, Granada, uh, you know, right in that area. So, yeah, that's super cool. And then uh, April, we're we're doing one of the ones I've been wanting to do for a long time, and that's Cuba. So we're taking 40 people to, uh, Havana and stay in downtown and two events that I'm really excited about. I'm cooking with different chefs each time. And then I'm playing with different musicians. Um, that one sold fast. I mean, <laughs> excuse me, sold fast. I'm like, wow, I think we could do this on a regular basis, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it all goes in April. And then, uh, and then in uh, October, we're doing Rome to Barcelona on uh, Oceana cruise lines, which is the ultimate food and wine cruise line. And, uh, we're stopping in super cool places. I've been to some and some I haven't, uh, Malta, Tunisia, Sicily, two stops, Amalfi, uh, Sardinia, Corsica, Marseille, France, Monte Carlo, and Barcelona. And, uh, on those three of those stops, we're doing, uh, wine trips to uh to different wineries as a group and having like lunch and stuff like that and uh, which are really fun so those are the three that we have going on for 24.
0: it's it's awesome uh, it's again it's uh, the ultimate way to connect with you know like your your guests and so it's yeah kudos insane. to you my friend.
1: it's been insane we started out 10 years ago doing group trips just on, just because a travel agent heard about us and said, Hey, you should do group trips. I'm like, who the hell would want to go with me? (laughs) And now look at this next year. I have over a hundred people with three trips going, you know? So now, now it's becoming lucrative, right? Before it was let's break even, spend a couple bucks, but make people happy. And now it's turning into a, a business. And it's a business I really like because the, the money that I I can make on that uh, let, lets me take the time off from cooking for people in their homes, and I can build that. You know, I started with one a year, now I'm doing three. Twenty five could be four. You know, and that's a sort of my you know my retirement job. <laughs> you know, so I, I love I love that it's taking off, and I think it's because everything else is kind of it's all organically happening. You know, and uh, and they're all working with each other. To help each other, each one of my seg- segments that I have.
0: Yeah, yeah. So my last question about food before we move to the wine. Um, <laughs> so living in Lewis and Rehoboth, you have to have a favorite seafood. And my question for you: uh, When you do mussels, do you prefer a marinara or a white sauce, or like white a wine? Won- garlic, for
1: sure, white wine and garlic, like crusty okay. bread. yeah yeah. okay gotta have it gotta have lots of bread i'm always asking for extra bread because that you got to get all that that white wine garlic olive oil on that bread and eat it yeah so yeah Yeah, so i guess my two favorite i mean i like we have such great restaurants but my go-to uh henlopen city oyster house in rehoboth and then the lewis oyster house in uh in lewis and harbor in lewis and that's where you get um beautiful views with great food so so they're probably my three favorite seafood, I'm probably leaving somebody out, but you know, whatever, I can't, I can't help that. There's so many restaurants.
0: Yeah, you, you are really, they are really blessed with the amount of great restaurants that are down there.
1: I think somebody mentioned this a while back, I think per capita, we might have the best restaurant seen in, in the country, you know, because at least
0: these coast, yeah. yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because we don't have a lot of people that actually live in these towns, but we have Restaurants like they were like a, a finger or a suburb of D.C. or Philadelphia or something, you know. And that's probably why those people, they come here and they have summer homes here and or they live here now and they, they support um, higher dollar restaurants, which means in most cases, higher quality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the wine um, part. You now have your own wine, Correct. You are about to release it to up to 40 states, correct, that people will be able to buy online. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been doing it for about 14 years, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so I got in the business because I was at a restaurant's no longer here, sadly. It's called Naj. Um, and me and my wife, when we go out, most of the time we sit at the bar because I love meeting new people. And I've gotten so many – I got so many things from that. And whether it's in-home dining or they come to the concert room or they buy my wine, whatever <laughs> – and we're just, we love talking to people. And of course, my wife brags on me, which is really cool. That way here I don't have to brag on me. <laughs> so yeah. So we were sitting at Naj and um we heard this couple talking and I heard Buffalo come up. I mean, that's where I'm from. And uh in uh I said, Buffalo. I said, I'm from there. He goes, I've been there for 30 something years and, and blah, blah, blah. I live in Orchard Park right by the stadium, you know. And uh then we started talking and you know, of course, my wife tells them I used to be famous and all this stuff. And they're like, wow, that's so cool. You know, and I said, yeah, we're starting up a an Italian wine import company called Porto Vino, Porto Vino, V-I-N-O. And uh, I said, oh, wow, that's awesome. And he goes, yeah, we're looking for somebody here in, to open it up in Delaware. I'm thinking, well, of course, I jumped right in. like, well, I know a lot of people in the business, you know, restaurants. That's what I was doing was playing restaurants. And uh, so the next thing I know, I had a job selling Italian wine. And uh, so I woke up the next morning, I'm like, yeah, it probably ain't going to happen. So I get this call from Italy while I was driving and I actually pulled over and took it. It was the business partner. And he goes, I heard you want to help sell wine in Delaware. I'm like, hell yeah. And so I kind of, he kind of knew my background a little bit and then started talking. And you know, the next thing I know, I was selling Italian wine and uh, which was really cool because I just started getting into wine. So, you know, 14 years ago, 16 years ago, we would go to wine tastings at our local wine shop teller wines Mm -hmm. and me and my wife were experimenting and trying different wines. And so it was perfect timing because I was just learning about Italian wines. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was awesome. I had a blast with it. And, uh, and then, um, I flew over to Italy, me and my wife for the first time, uh, 14 years ago. And, uh, met my producers. That's what I was talking about when we walked into a vineyard and Nona wanted to make some food for us, you know, that was one of the vineyards. And, uh, and it's great because all those, a lot of those relationships I made back then, they're still great friends of mine and they want to do wines for me, you know? So it was, it was awesome. It was really good. And then, uh, I was doing so well with it. I said, you know, I'm looking at getting my own wine. And, uh, I, I started out, uh, you know, I had, you have to apply through the government and all that, and all that happened. And, that I found just by digging, I found a winery in California that did wine for me. But it was like twelve years ago. It was called Sonata, you know, uh, you know, musically termed uh, uh, named wine, and uh, and I did pretty good with that. I what I found out is I didn't need to quit my day job yet, which was playing music and go sell wine. Uh, so I learned a valuable lesson on that. That's why I'm not quitting doing in home dining, just to sell wine, you know. So uh luckily my in-home dining is really helping the wine business so i learned a lot from it it was it was an awesome experience and then um so i still have i still have that permit that allows me to sell wine in in uh, america in the united states so once you have that it never goes away so a friend of mine told me that and i said you know because of my in-home dining i was using all my friends wines um, and, and I was like, wait, I'm not making any money on that. I don't like that, you know. Plus I just loved to brand, you know, the wine with what I do, you know. So it, and I and I know all about the wines and I talk like, you know, educatedly about it and I teach people about it, and which I love. And um, so two years ago I I applied for my I already have my basic permit, they call it, then I applied for my import license. It'll be two years uh December and I got it in 10 days so then I'm like now I reached out to all my peeps in Italy and they're like hell yeah we'll do a wine for you you know so uh so I I don't know if you saw the label but it's a guitar and I found the lady in, in uh in Colorado that I bought that that guitar from and then that's been our logo ever since which was like over two years ago so yeah so it's been really cool to kind of watch that process happen and, um, and, and then pairing the wine. So I'm a, I, I love to pair the food and the wines together. I really don't like doing a dinner if I'm not able to do that, because it's really special when people get to taste, you know, this risotto with mushrooms and a homemade sausage with this Barbera d'asti from the same region that you would get that dish. You know, that's how I connect the dots with that. I would never do like, like a, like a Bolognese or red sauce and use Barbera. Now, some people would, and I guess maybe, you know, um, scientifically it works but for me you got to like if you're going to have a red sauce you got to have sangiovese or chianti you know uh there's there's other options but you know i'm just saying i i love the fact of of taking cuz each re- region in italy has their own wine that's maybe not even in, in any other region mm-hmm. and then there are foods that they have and then so now now you've got a good template for pairing pairing stuff you know pairing wines and food together you know and i love that regional specific um, pairings yeah,
0: Yeah. so I, I worked at a, a tapas restaurant when I was in college. And so I got introduced to, like, South American wine. So, like, yeah, Carmenieres yeah. and Malbec's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I kind of, like, from there got into Old Vines Infindels. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my go-to now, which is very odd for most people. That's not their go-to. But I just love yeah. the full bodiness of an old vine it's
1: that's what's cool about wine it's just like music right you know there's great wines there's good wines there's average wines but it's all about what you like you know and i never down anybody for that now i know what i what i don't like you know and that's big napa cabs that the only thing you can possibly eat is a big t-bone with a big strip of fat on it you know now don't get me wrong there are some Balanced cabs out there too, and I don't mean to generalize, but overall, you know, that's the people like that. In fact, that's why Super Tuscan came out for Italy is because the Italians wanted to take advantage of the popularity of cabs, and mm-hmm. it, and and now I've noticed they're actually pulling back from that and going more toward um, balanced wines. And and I, I like I like balanced wines. I love French wines. I love Spanish. I love Italian. Greek have cool wines. California Pasta Robles has more balanced wines. I'm a I'm a more of a balanced type of person overall. Like mm-hmm. when I drink a beer, I don't want the hops to just take over my whole face. You know what I mean? So so I try, and that's what I am with with wines too. And, and I love the Italian way of making wines. Um, you know, you have to follow the rules. You can't if like for there's a famous wine, and one of the most expensive wines is Brunello di Montalcino. It's a Sangiovese. That has specific rules in the bottle for five years Uh, has to be 100% Sangiovese grown in this just penciled in area called Montalcino. Uh, Now, if they have a bad year, they don't manipulate the wine to sell a Brunello. They skip it and they skip a year. If they have a bad year, they'll put it in a bottle called Rosso di Montalcino, which is you can buy for $15 a bottle instead of $85 it's going to be pretty damn good, but it's not a Brunello. So I love the fact that they, in most cases, of course you have your, you know, you have your ones that don't, but follow the rules and, and, and true to your art form of making wine. And France does that too. Old world does that. Some, uh, some United States vineyards do that. Um, but there's no rules in California. You can do whatever you want to your wines basically, you know, so uh, to add body and, you know, there's a whole nother thing on that but 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 i love the fact that i cook italian and then i'm all about italian wines and i i'm still learning there's 600 plus varietals that are that are uh documented and there's more out there so i love learning about new ones and i i people up standing in the kitchen at their house they're like have you had this one i'm like no what is that let's try that you know and what region is it from and you know like let's let's talk about it and You know, and to me, that's the fun part about that. It's just like food and music and wine. I, I'll never know it all, but I'm going to learn as much as I can while I'm doing all this, because there's nothing, nothing better than being knowledgeable about what you're doing, you know? And I do tell people, you know, I I know enough to be dangerous about food, wine, and music, you know? So I know most, more than most. So it makes me sound like I really know what I'm talking about. But I have, I have my idols, you know, my my lookups do you know like Mario Battali the chef, even though he's done some crazy stuff. And then, my friend chef who owns Osteria in Philadelphia, and he's a James Beard winning chef. And uh and then my musician friends like Robert Randolph and the guys in Bad Company. And then my wine people, you know I have a master song and uh, uh and Italian master sommelier that just loves me, and I I get stuff from him all the time, and I learn. You know what I mean? I I I think life would be pretty. Freaking boring if you weren't learning all the time, you know. And I, and I pride myself in that, and I pride myself in having the knowledge to when somebody does ask a question that I can pretty much answer it, you know.
0: So you just kind of touched on James Beard. You did a Sunday supper event for with the James Beard Foundation, correct? Was that in no, February?
1: That awesome. Yeah, we were actually Talk the one we were so honored, and it was in Wilmington, and you know all the the James Beard nominated chefs in, in our area I mean Wilmington is crushing it right now I'm so happy for them because for so long it really wasn't really known for food now now it's it's a great place in fact me and my wife used to go to Philadelphia all the time to get away and go to James beard winning chef places you know just really cool places and uh, last January we went to Wilmington and just were blown away by everything so so that foundation reached out to me through my friend who's a food writer Pam George and um Yeah, so we were the actual partner with James Beard, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. So let's talk about the Paul Cares, the nonprofit, and your relationship with Jim.
1: So Jim uh, was with an organization called SCORE. And I forget the acronym, but it's for uh, retired uh, entrepreneurs helping newer entrepreneurs. And I'd already started my in-home dining. I was two, three years in. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a forward thinker. How can I be better? How can I make this work better? And, you know, obviously then I start taking on brands and stuff. But uh, so I met him at a uh, chamber meeting in uh, Bethany. And I said, this is what I'm doing. I'm looking to like take it to another level. So he's been with me, you know, for five years now. And uh, so as he's helping me with this, we needed to find a place, which is the room at Cedar Grove, which we actually called Paul's Kitchen for a while. Uh, just because we needed a commercial kitchen because my wife was sick of clean, cleaning up after me here. And uh, especially chicken liver pate. She didn't even want to touch or smell that. But uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things I make, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, and he's just, you know, helped me with the business side of things. You know, we looked at like seven different places and he would do the numbers for me Right, I'm like, man, I really like this place. He goes, okay, I'm going to go home, do the numbers. I'll send them to you. And I looked, I said, yeah, but I don't want to lose $30,000 this year. So no, that's not my place. You know? So, so he's been really good on the financial side for me, you know, to making me take that, you know, I'm the excited guy, like, Oh my God, I can, we can do this and do that, do that. And then he goes, how about this? I'm like, no, no, we're not doing this, this and that. (laughs) So, and then um, we were helping nonprofits and I, my, I didn't spend any money on marketing my in-home dining. That was just a word of, word of mouth, except I gave uh dinner for eight to nonprofits to, to, uh, sell, um, um, live auction, you know, at their, at their fundraising events. Well, after I added it up, um, you know, I raised over $230,000 in three years for our nonprofits, you know, wow. and, uh, And I was thinking, wow, this is really cool. I wonder, and I always kind of had that in my mind, you know, like I'd love to have my own, yeah, I'd love to pay it forward. I think it's even a better term uh, to pay it forward than having a non, you know, then I wasn't thinking nonprofit. I was thinking I want to help young kids and adults in the culinary musical arts. So I talked to Jim about it and he said, let's do it. So we formed it in uh, 2020. Of course it was COVID year. So stuff went kind of slow at the beginning. And then, uh, and then we started, you know, moving forward and 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 started uh, giving awards to uh, you know people to send them to school and helping out the local high schools. Our first thing was actually uh, it was a middle school, a uh, kindergarten. I'm sorry. We there's these bells that are in the in the key of C, so there's six seven bells. So no matter if somebody's playing the C chord, you can hit any of those bells and it's in tune, right? Right. Yeah. So the the school was short, like I don't know, 20 sets of bells. So that was our first. That was our first uh, award, and I went there and I, I played with them, and uh, they they had all the bells on stage, and they're all banging on the bells, and and uh, and that was pretty cool. So, so like I said, I, I wanted to pay it forward. I wanted to be able to help people. Like I had mentors, right, throughout throughout my. I didn't start playing an instrument until I was twenty, and my mentor Stacy's the one that said, you know, you should play bass instead of guitar because he was going to teach me how to play guitar. Um, So I know, you know, that, um, you know, I I know that that helped me tremendously. So, um, so the Fitsky brothers that, you know, they, they, their mom, they wanted to call me their mentor. This was like four years ago when I first met them, they were only like three feet tall and now they're taller than me. And um, I said, no, 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 I don't want to be called mentor. I don't like that. It's too much pressure. So they called me Uncle Pauly. Uh, But in the meantime, that's when the whole idea got you know, um, got going with Paul cares and, uh, you know, and then me and Jim got together. And in fact, we sent the Fiske brothers to, um, the band camp, uh, up at Woodstock, uh, roots rock, um, Road so- to roots. Yeah. So, yep. and, and because of that, we made a lot of great connections with melody trucks and all those, all those guys too, which has been super cool. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's where we are on that. We're, uh, we're in our, th- kind of our third full year and, uh, and we've done some cool stuff and, we just had our first golf tournament uh in October, which was a blast. And and um, so we just didn't have a golf tournament. Then my band Bad River, which is me and Tony from the Little River band, uh, we have a band called Bad River. So we played that and uh and after the golf tournament, we had like a private, like a VIP party. So you could either do the golf tournament and come to the party, or you could just buy a ticket for the party. And uh so it was really cool. So we've done some pretty big fundraising events, concert for the kids at the Milton Theater twice, two years in a row. So Yeah, it's been it's been really gratifying, you know, and uh, so now the place that used to be called Paul's Kitchen is called the Rim at Cedar Grove Paul Cares. So all the ticket sales from all the concerts, everything we do there goes to Paul Cares, which is cool.
0: So talk about that venue itself. Talk about the experience that guests have when they go to a show there.
1: Uh, The guests love it, but the musicians even love it more because a musician owns it. Right. So that we get them fed and give them great food and drinks and wine. And we just treat them with the respect that musicians should be treated with, um, which as I know, you don't always get treated that way. Um, It's great venue. I mean, I've had, you know, several, you know, Robert Randolph's played there twice. He likes it so much. And Tony Levin's coming back again in the spring for the third time. And, you know, so it's been a really cool thing. The guests get this intimate 60 seat room um, where they get to, um, watch the entertainers, get to hear the stories. And it's a true listening room. I mean, we actually go around and tell people to shut up. I mean, I'm like, you know, Hey, you know, this is a listening room. This isn't a bar, you know? And, uh, and it's been really rewarding. And then having people, uh, bands like the Fiske brothers and melody trucks playing together. And, and then I get to play there once in a while, which is really fun for me. And uh, that's the only time I get to play bass anymore is with bad river. So, yeah, so it's been, uh, it's been great. And I, the, the, outpouring of support from the locals is, has just been great because there's nothing like what we do in our area you know the closest would be like the avalon theater in uh in easton you know or up in pennsylvania philadelphia area so yeah. it's been it's been super cool and i uh, started out with like 34 seats now we're up to 60 so we're trying to squeeze as many in as possible in the little space that we have but uh i think the overall experience for everybody is pretty incredible because you get it you get dinner also So it's dinner. It's like a supper club. So it's dinner and a concert. Yeah.
0: Do you envision it being bigger than 60 seats or is that kind of you feel like that's ideal?
1: I I really like that. We're actually in negotiations with an outdoor area, which would keep us from trying to expand that one, because this one we can probably have up to 700 people. So those acts that we can't afford that want to play our place, we can put them in the outdoor uh, outdoor venue we're getting ready. i am mean, getting ready to sign the deal here next week. And uh, we'll be doing more festivals like blues festivals, bluegrass. I want to do an international food and wine festival out there. Something super cool that you don't see in our area. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of ideas uh, for a place that's can hold up to 700 people outside. You know, we have a, an amazing concert venue called Freeman stage. And uh, so we could be like right under that for the people that, can't quite play freeman they can play our 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 place you know and we've already got we've already got some thoughts about some of the people that played our place putting bands together and doing like three band you know afternoon you know and uh get people to come sit outside and enjoy the beautiful weather and uh so that's for that you know uh expanding the room would take some pretty serious money um you not you know we, we've thought about maybe getting a capital grant you know for that um but I think right now we're just going to keep it intimate. And then now that we have the bigger venue um, that we can run bands that can't play our place because they're too expensive, we can run them out there. You
0: know? Well, I, I heard of a I think there's a podcast maybe that might be able to cover those uh, events when you uh, started. So, oh, you yeah, know, a little yeah.
1: FYI. OK, good to know. <laughs> Put that in my mental notes. Absolutely. I'll probably write it down because I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs>
0: Or you got too much going on, of course.
1: <laughs> and it's crazy. I wake up some mornings at like three in the morning, like, oh my God, what do I gotta do today? You know. Um, but you know, it's all good. It's it's definitely better than the opposite. And I've been to the opposite, which is not being in a good place in life and uh and having too much time to think about how bad life is. <laughs> you know, I think that's part of what I went through, you know, before I moved here. And uh, you know, I just kind of felt sorry for myself and why did it happen to me and you know it's it's really easy to do when you've been on that situation on that level and then you're not you know and we didn't have social networking back then to network you know i was stuck in fort myers florida you know but uh but you know it's it's been awesome i'm just hanging on and enjoying life as much as i can and you know and just building the brand you know i'm not sure where it's all gonna go i just see it going you know one thing I do know is I'll be doing in-home dining till I'm in a walker or a wheelchair, <laughs> you know, which knock on wood, I hope doesn't happen too soon. But uh, but yeah. And then, you know, we're hoping the wine business, we're poised and I've uh, done a lot of research on this e-commerce and, you know, um we've got companies working for us now. I just met with a company that's going to do my email marketing and all my social networking and And uh, as far as buying ads and getting the word out there about my wine, you know, and which is kind of cool because it intertwines with my in-home dining and my travel, you know, and then we have the concert room. But just those three, you know, that are on my website, the wine can help the other two work really well and vice versa. But, you know, if we're selling a lot of wine, you know, you know, we have plans to, you know, like somebody wants to fly me to Arizona to do a dinner you know, um, that I could come and do a dinner at their house, you know, if you buy enough wine or, or even better, I can do just like we're doing today on zoom. I can, you know, you guys buy three cases of wine. We'll pick a night. I'll hang out by my fireplace and we'll zoom and I'll play music. You can put me up on your big screen, ask me questions and uh, kind of a little bit, taking a little of the playbook from the COVID times, you know, where Absolutely. I did those, you know, I did those, uh, you know, from my house, I would do the wine tastings and in uh, dinners and stuff.
0: You have to be innovative, you know, if you, if you aren't, you just get left behind. Right.
1: We, yeah, we, we were definitely, yeah, we would, we would turn on a dime when we had to just try to make it work. Yeah. Pivot, I guess is the word. Yeah. yeah. And we survived it. And I didn't get, you know, I wasn't a restaurant. Right. So I didn't get anything really. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's, it is what it is. I made it through it. I don't owe anybody anything. <laughs> and, and I, and we survived and, one nice part, maybe the only nice part is I had three, three months off with my wife and my doggies. And, um, and, you know, and then, because then once June came of COVID, uh, we did, we ended up doing over 175 dinners that, that year. Uh, we did 20, 24 of them in September of COVID because I was a great alternative. They could only bring four people to a restaurant. They had to be family and people were hunkered down here. I mean, they even like slipped out of New York to get to their beach house and they were here for months, you know? So, so overall it ended up being okay for me, even though, you know, it's devastating for a lot of my friends and especially people in the restaurant business that I know that didn't make it through it, you know, so, and musicians, you know, so luckily I made it through all that.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I I am, and I, I want to get your thoughts on that because you go to restaurants a lot and you appreciate restaurants for everything they do. I'm concerned that that down the road, and maybe not next year, or maybe not even five years, but I think down the road, I think restaurants and going out to eat, other than like your fast food and like your national corporate chains, I think it's going to become very, very expensive to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure the general public will be able to do that like they do now in our country. What do you think about that?
1: Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I hope not. Um, you know, I think I, I see the trend that's happening and a lot of it's more experience based, you know, obviously like mine's an experience. I call it the in-home dining experience. And some people are like, oh, so you cater. I'm like, no, I don't cater. No, no. It's an in-home dining experience. It's, it's the full Monty. I'm not dropping a bunch of trays of meatballs and rigatoni off to you. That's not <laughs> what we do. Uh, so I think, and I've seen some of these places pop up now. It's, it's not always, um, um, you know, they got to find the the right business model so they can make money doing it. You know, obviously finding the right space with the right lease, um, you know, um, and then your utilities, what, all that, you got to find the right space to do it. But there's places that do like the one, one in Nashville called the catbird seat, um, which I've yet to go to as a friend of mine's buddies, the chef there, but just their business model is, you know, they do two seatings for 16 people or just, you know, off the top of my head, uh four times, four, they do two times a night, four four days a week and, and they sell out every time. So it's really hard to get in. So making, I think we're going to see this and I kind of seen a little bit already in this area is giving you more of an experience, you know? And I think the bigger groups, restaurant groups don't have to make as much money after each one, you know, after each restaurant, but if they have six, then they can survive. Not only keeping management in place and all that, the one-off restaurants are going to be tougher, I think, to stay in business, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I guess it all depends on, you know, the the economy and if prices keep going up, uh, they're stable right now. I mean, our, I mean, geez, our pork prices are awesome right now compared to what they were COVID, you know, and right after COVID, it's like $2 less a pound now and chicken also. So I, I, I only notice what I order, everything's been kind of in line uh and and, or going down. There's a couple things that jump up like once in a while, like milk will jump up, like uh cream, you know, heavy cream will jump up and then the next week it's back down. But overall, I am seeing too much of a uh I've seen more more stuff going down uh in the last two years than going up. You know, so maybe that's a good sign for restaurants. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hopefully. Hopefully. So as a music podcast i'm sure our audience is wondering at this point like well when are we going to talk about music like this guy <laughs> was in bad company right yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah. let's talk about music so you started playing at the age of 20 which i think in you know most cases that's that's old for for starting to play music right i, I mean
1: oh yeah yeah for sure I you know i But, you know, people have been playing since 12. Those are the ones that don't like me because, you know, I started at 20 and uh, I had a great mentor, like I was talking about. And he uh, he was going to teach me how to play guitar because I was like, you know, I want to learn how to play guitar. Uh, I guess let me back up a little bit. The way it all worked out is I was an athlete in high school. I played three sports, but but year round two, two things of soccer, basketball and tennis. I love music, went to concerts all the time. Um. And then my parents bought a business down in Florida. It was a dry cleaning business. I said I would go help them. I left the day after I graduated high school. Uh, the good thing about what, what I found out about working in the dry cleaning business is I didn't want to be in the dry cleaning business. So, uh, so that was a good motivator for me. I helped them out. We did really well. Um, and I said, you know what? I love music. i mean, maybe I'll play guitar. So I got a guitar, fiddled around and found a teacher and, uh, he's an amazing jazz player. He's, a kind of like a Pat Metheny style which i love Pat Metheny and uh and he he said "paul I'll, I'll teach you how to play guitar" he goes but i really think you need to play bass i think he was thinking for himself actually because there's not there wasn't many bass players back then and maybe not as many now i don't know uh but yeah so he uh he said "here listen to jocko vistorius" i'm like "huh who's this guy" so i heard his first solo album and then weather report albums i'm like "wow that's bass guitar" And, um, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go. So the next day I went out and bought a bass and he's kind of tutored me on, on, um, um, you know, learning how to play technique wise, as much as he could help me, uh, you know, practice with a metronome from day one, he would chart out things for me, like the baseline, to moon dance, and I would learn it, you know, uh, by ear and, uh, and, you know, it just started. And, and then within six months I was playing in a country band making $350 a week. Uh, there was no bass players out there. Right. You know, so these guys loved it. I mean uh, you know, it, it was a great band for me to start in. They were called Foxfire and uh, really talented musicians and the singer played fiddle. So we did a lot of Charlie Daniels and uh, yeah. And I was off and running, man. I played with that band for six months and I joined this, a top 40 band at the Brown Derby and we played like whatever the top 40 music was in 1982. And I joined a band called the kids Uh, and, uh, from are from Memphis, but I met them in Florida and they needed a bass player. Next thing I know, I'm in Alaska playing when I'm 23 years old. Um, and we worked our way out there Montana, Idaho, Washington, uh, Oregon, and then they flew us to Alaska and we played for three months in Alaska. So my first three years were very, very entertaining (laughs) and I made really good money, you know, and, uh, and because of being a bass player and, and the connections I was making, um, I was able to go from one band to another pretty easily and, um, and just keep playing. Cause I knew starting at 20 years old, man, I needed to, I needed to get experience. Not only should I practice every day, but I need to play music with different musicians every night, you know, and, and it worked out great, man, you know, 10 years of that and having a blast. And, and, uh, and then we had a band, I moved back to Fort Myers where I lived and we had a band called the boys of summer. That was the drummer uh, from Lewis and uh we had a song being played on the radio It was called little black book and never very rarely did you get played on on rock radio if you didn't have a record deal and just happened the singer at the time from bad company not paul rogers the other guy and then cliff from acdc the bass player and brian johnson the singer um all lived there and somehow man they started the word was out and they used to come out and see our band play and uh and then um we actually mixed our, our song, little black book at cliff from ACDC's house. He had a a 24 track studio and he helped us mix it to get it on the radio. Um, so anyway, so we got a group of people and just paid great friends. I used to golf with uh, Brian Johnson from ACDC on a regular basis and me and Cliff, the bass player from ACDC got to be good friends. And, uh, and then the bass player from uh, bad company didn't want to go back out anymore. He wanted to play jazz in London. So, uh, which I got to see him do and I got to meet him, which was really cool. Um, so, yeah, they they're like, hey, Paul, Paul would be a great, great bass player for you guys. You know, and and at that time I was playing like six nights a week. I was playing really good. I even watched videos and go, damn, I was playing pretty good. You know, so, yeah, so they uh, got a phone call two weeks later. They flew me to London. I was there for two weeks, um, got the job after two songs uh, on the first day I was there. And then flew home, flew out to LA to do. I had a ticket waiting for me, flew to LA to do the video, which is Holy Water, um, which is on my website. And then uh, flew home for like a couple of days and went to Burlington, Vermont, is where we did our pre production and our first concert. So I think it was pretty much within like under six weeks from when I got the phone call that I was playing in front of 8,000 people in Burlington, Vermont. So it was pretty, pretty wild, pretty surreal for sure. Like, yeah. For the first part of all that, I'd be like waking up in the morning going, well, a lot of times I had hangovers because those guys could drink uh, from England. And uh, <laughs> that's why they liked me is because I could keep up with them. Uh, yeah. I wake up and like, where am I? Oh, shit. I'm in I'm in Burlington, Vermont. Oh, yeah. I'm in bad company. <laughs> so it was like it was like that for a while. And uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was amazing, uh, amazing time, you know, and, you know, it ended too early for me monetarily and everything you know um but you know in in the grand scheme of things it all worked out okay um i got to actually do it and that really helps my you know people wouldn't be nearly as enamored with what i do if i didn't play in bad company and i'm not stupid enough you know uh to realize that you know um so but it's all good because i just think it's funny haha that People think it was cool that I played in that band, and they hired me to come to their house and cook for them. So, you know, I, I never got any residuals from Bad Company, but that is one, right?
0: So you covered a lot there. So I am going to go back for a little bit. Yeah, so, sorry
1: about that. I got
0: no, no, no. You are fine. I, I didn't want to interrupt you, and and you were this is great. So the first three years, let's just go back to um, of you like getting into playing bands. I was a hotel manager for twenty two years i i am intrigued by there has to be a good hotel story from those first three years involving the band or you yourself
1: yeah i mean we were pretty full-on one band i played in uh, ricky smith band we he, he was a uh uh in, in impressionist uh he did we did a tribute to uh, rod stewart was his thing and then he started doing other ones like prince and stuff he was really amazing he's it's a pain in the ass, but he was really, really talented, but yeah, we play like the Sheridans and the Ramada Inns in the South, you know, that meaning, you know, like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida. Um, because yeah, there's a whole circuit of those, you know, hotels that had bars and, you know, you don't see too many of those anymore. Uh, but yeah, that was, they put you up in the hotel. And, uh, so yeah, those were some crazy times. Cause he was crazy and we partied hard and, uh, Cause we didn't nothing else to do. We didn't have to be to work until 9 30 every night. So what the hell you do, you know? And uh we certainly got in that rock and roll lifestyle. And uh I was kind of known to to be I, I wasn't a womanizer. They were just attracted to me for some reason. I'm not sure why, but uh so yeah. So there were several um several stories on that line. I don't know if we want to go into those, but uh but but yeah. it, it was a great experience. You know For me, like somebody like him, um, I I walked I I joined the band and he goes, um, yeah he goes yeah you're good bass player he goes "Uh, I'm happy to have you in the band I'm like well this is cool you know I know I knew the band worked all the time and I was all about that I didn't even want a week off you know I wanted to work all the time I needed the money and I needed the experience he goes well you're gonna you're gonna be my announcer like you guys will play a couple songs and then you're gonna talk I'm like I got to talk on the microphone are you kidding me. so that was like my first experience it was in uh uh what was it albany georgia i had to i had to talk to the crowd i was scared shitless and uh, <laughs> then it got to a point where they had to get they had to get the hook out there and pull me because i wouldn't shut up <laughs> so, but uh but those were those were interesting times especially playing in the deep south yeah we had long hair we wore spandex uh women loved us guys not so much you know um, of course, when we went out to breakfast late night, we always put our jeans on.
0: <laughs> the after work, the after work attire, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so, funny how women like spandex and makeup and long ass hair better than short with jeans and a cowboy hat. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it was wild.
0: Yeah, it is. It is kind of crazy how how decades have changed.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Yeah
0: um so so okay so after so three years you're into the band you get the call from bad company to come to London like headspace where you were at like life-wise like relationship wise like you know would you say you were in a good spot at that point or like were you kind of like I needed this liftoff kind of
1: probably a combination of both so it was 10 okay. years from the time I picked up bass until I auditioned for bad company and okay you know, I worked really hard that whole time, but that band boys of summer we had was really good. And, right. you know, if it wasn't for not everybody being on the same page, which of course you have that with bands, you know um, I'm not going to go into details, but they weren't as focused as I was. I'll put it that way. Um, to being successful. And I think that showed on stage and it showed in my personality. I was the business guy of the band. I took care of the money. I took care of the bookings. Um, and I learned that because that got handed off to me in a couple bands. They're like, yeah, yeah, you're way better at doing this. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to do this. (laughs) So, so I think with the guys that I met, uh, in ACDC, a bad company, they saw that confidence for one, I was playing really good. Like my, my keyboard player posts videos every once in a while. And I watch them going, okay, okay. I get that. I was playing really good. You know, and uh, no wonder I got the job in Bad Company. <clears throat> they weren't feeling sorry for me. I mean, they knew I could play bass, and they knew I had I had a good personality, and I I party, but I didn't overdo it like other guys. And um, and they really liked my demeanor, mm. and, and you know, they I was just a good guy, and I I treated them like like they were just friends, not that they were rock stars, right? You know, mm. and as I found out, being a rock star you just treat people like they're normal that that it works out really well for you, you know? And um, yeah, so, so I was in a good place Uh, marriage wise, maybe not so, uh, but it wasn't quite bad yet. Um, But, but just me personally as a bass player and a person, I was in a really good place. I was ready to go to another level. I was pretty sick of playing bars. And uh, in fact, I think I even, I kind of even, I took a job at a, at a, uh, back then a record store called Specs. And just trying to see if I could find something maybe I could have a living at um, other than being a musician. You know, I was getting getting burned out on the whole party scene and what I had to go through with the guys in the band and, and stuff, you know, so, so I I was probably, I was ready for it and I thought about it, but, but you know what? I didn't ask those guys, you know, how could I get on and, you know, can you help me out? Um, But my other guys did, they would ask them like, Hey man, Hey, can you get me a gig playing in a rock band? You know, you know, and I was, I never did that. I was just, I don't know. I just, I was just me. And, um, and I, I think they appreciated that. And that's why I got the job. Yeah.
0: So what do you think is, is, why do you think Bad Company has become this, you know, such big band for so many fans worldwide? What is it about Bad Company?
1: I think it's the uniqueness of the music, uh and the talent of the musicians. Okay, that's that's probably pretty common for most, right? You two, uh, but but in, in you knowing the band like I did, I mean, you know, Boz Burrell was an amazing bass player. I don't know if you know, but he played in King Crimson. So he's no he was no slouch. He added this cool jazzy vibe, this this funky groove thing that Simon could play like straight drums, which he was great at. Then Mick had this beautiful guitar tone and he was a great songwriter and then he got maybe one of the best best voices in rock you know proven through free and queen and bad company and uh and then the firm you know i mean just iconic and and you know i think that com- combo of the songwriters and then the other musicians filling in on, on what should be played was just amazing you know i mean mick mick was such a great songwriter uh, and his tone on stage, and then the studio was just stellar, um, he played a 59 Les Paul through a Marshall, uh, a half stack, and 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 just, man, that guitar could sing, and I would go over on his side of the stage in front of 20,000 people, and egg them on, and just like, man, I want to hear you play, man, and uh, so I think it was that, the songwriting was was excellent, I mean, some of those songs like Silver, Blue, and Gold, and and uh you know even seagull that that paul wrote and yeah i mean there's so many cool awesome songs that they've written also and i think it was a true team effort you know when they were recording you know and each guy added their element to the song and uh and they're catchy and and great great hook lines and great riffs i mean good love and gone bad oh my god what a great song that is you know so so I think it was a combination of all, which is pretty common to other bands, but I think they had just a special specialness of the guys coming from different places and then coming together. It wasn't like they grew up together, right? They were kind of like a super group when maybe Cream was the only other super group or Blind Faith, right? You know, and they were put together basically by Peter Grant from Led Zeppelin, you know, and so they had a good start and they didn't have to struggle too much because that first album they actually went in the studio because John Bonham um, had alcohol poisoning and they had to cancel the recording session in the studio or in, a, in this castle. So Bad Company wasn't even ready yet. So that first Bad Company album was written, the rest of it was written and recorded in two weeks at that castle. So if you really, and then you go back and listen to that, you're like, wow, that is so cool. You can hear the rawness of it. You know, now I love Straight Shooter and I'm a big fan of Running With The Pack um you know but that first album was was super special because they didn't have time to think it right and it, it happens a lot on, on your first album right you don't have time to think it you just do it and then the next thing you know the next thing they know they're off touring and then two years later they got a, a jet named bad company and you know and then the rest was history you know yeah. and it's just too bad that you know they couldn't get along toward the end and i i think you know, from the stories I heard, you know, it was just tough for Paul because Paul wanted a little bit more. um, I think he wanted more, which he got actually, he he wanted more control, but he was, he was a drinker back then. And I'm sure he would admit it too, that that wasn't a good, uh, that wasn't a good combo for him. And, um, you know, so then they ended up breaking up and I was so excited that they got back together. It was 99. They got back together as the original band. And I saw some shows that were just, it was amazing, you know? Sad parties, they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm just stunned at that. And and I'm not just saying that because I was in the band. I'm saying it because I'm stunned, (laughs) you know? Uh,
0: Well, I was going to talk about that, so I'm glad you did. So, you know, Dolly earlier said, you know, I'm not going to go in because I'm not rock and roll, and it should only be rock and roll. And, like, I get that side of it, but I also get, like, the side of it that, you know, rock and roll is – from like roots it's from the blues it's from you know like it's just a mashup of all of these genres that we've all been listening to for you know hundreds of years so
1: yeah,
0: yeah. you know celtic music you know it's all so you know what's your take on that
1: no i love all the genres being in there um i'm just i'm just saddened, and um and i and i get it i i, I mean i get music because i've been in it my whole life and i love i'm a i'm a music lover also right yeah. Um, I get it. People can be less talented and be more popular yeah, you know, because of their shtick, what they did on stage or their, their songs are catch catchy. I mean, I get all that. I mean, you know, I don't like the New York dolls. I would never listen to them, but I appreciate what, what they David Johansson and them did. I, I get that. Uh, but just talent wise and song wise and, you know, selling 30 million albums or whatever they sold you know, I just, just find it, that's, what's just discouraging and disturbing about it is that band like them are not in there. Um, Yeah. Let everybody else in, but, but, and here's what I learned. I got to share this with you is I was doing a, uh, one of my clients has a yacht in Miami and I, he flew me down to play and just kind of hang out with his, his rich people, friends. Two of them were on the board of the rock and roll hall of fame. Mm -hmm. So of course I have a couple glasses of wine in. I'm like, Dude, well, why isn't Bad Company in? They're like, yeah, I get those questions about other bands too. I'm like, no, but I'm not. I'm not kidding. Like, why are they not in? And and these guys are on the board. These these are the guys that vote, right? They had like some of the most stupid responses that I've ever heard. I, they're so stupid, I don't even want to repeat them. But I get it. I get it because they're scorned musicians that are millionaires that are on on the board, and they have the power. To bring people in and out, or or either have them in or not, you know what I mean. So it's not it's it's not decided. Just like just like a lot of the Hall of Fames, they're not decided by the people that maybe should be deciding them. Maybe maybe the football is I because they it's the members that vote you in, you know. Uh, but but it's a political thing, and and I saw it and I couldn't believe it. I was stunned that night. I was like, no wonder they're not in because their criteria is just ridiculous, you know. And, and, you know, so I got that. I, I see why. And, uh, and then the main guy just got let go. So everybody's like excited about getting their favorite band in now, but
0: and, yeah. yeah Jan I just, Warner, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I just think it's a, I, th- I think it would just be an honor. Not for me at all. I'm not even thinking it at all for me, but just for the guys yeah. that are still alive. And, you know, Mick Ralphs, I don't know if you know, he's, he had a stroke in 16 or 18 and he's, he's bedridden. He'll never walk again or play guitar or any of that. He wouldn't even be able to go, you know. i just like to see them get their due, you know, before they die. I know. And it sounds terrible, but, you know. Yeah, yeah
0: that funny. it is unfortunate. And you're right. There are other bands definitely that are out there. But it is very surprising why. But as you said, you know, when it comes down to politics, we're not politicians.
1: No. No, I know.
0: <laughs> so, you know, you're now doing, you've released two solo albums, correct?
1: Actually, I have five. Um, okay. Four were on CD, and then I have a five, uh, the fifth one's a download. Okay. Part of my ebook, uh, From Bad Company to Good Company. Uh, I have a, a biography. Yep. Um, yeah. So I started in 2007 um, with, uh, with Dream Dance. So 2007 is when I consciously put down my bass and picked up guitar. And started writing songs so I had 10 songs I went to the studio in North Carolina that I just played bass on a friend of mine's album and I played them my my demo tracks and they loved them and they took them and just made them beautifully done made them just beautifully done I am wondered like wow those are my songs you know and uh so yeah I started out with Dream Dance and then Paradise was second and then uh yeah and I just kept writing you know and then recording and I started playing more out and you know, I become uh, sort of the private party wedding person. Uh, you know, for play ceremonies and in in um, um, cocktail hours and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I became a musician again in in two thousand seven after mm-hmm. like not being one for you know pretty much that whole time between two thousand one and two thousand seven.
0: So, what yeah. I listen to of your of your solo stuff, I what I get, and and you know, you can tell me I'm crazy or not, but. I kind of get a little bit of Yacht Rock. I get a little bit of Tears for Fears. Mm. I get a little bit of Jack Johnson. Mm. But overall, it's kind of like that kind of adult contemporary kind of like sound. Is that fair to say?
1: I'd say so. I think my, my song uh, Down by the Lake, which is my newest one, that's more like a Jack Johnson song. Um, uh, Dream Dance. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess that's it's about right. I mean, I... I my first stuff, I slid more toward the Latin jazzy side of stuff, um, which is still what I really like to play. Um, mm-hmm. When I switched to guitar, I, I had a steel string for a quick second, and, and then my friend let me play his nylon string, which has the wider neck, so I could get my fingers in there. So if you ever see me play, I play with my fingers like a bass, and I use my thumb a lot too. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I kind of lean toward that Latin jazzy side. But, uh, but yeah, you know... When a song comes out like down by the lake, I just let it happen. I don't I don't try to make it anything in particular. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So do you feel like, you know, like where of the three that you're in right now, between the Paul Cares, between the the obviously the cooking side of it and then the solo artist side of it, where do you feel like you're giving the most like attention and the most importance to?
1: Well, I think currently pretty pretty equally. Okay. Um, probably a little less on guitar. Uh, cause I have this one song I've been working on. I wrote when I was in, uh, Bermuda this year with, uh, with my wife. Um, and I haven't had a chance to kind of finish it, you know, so I've been working on that a little bit. Um, so the guitar is probably the least of what I do, but I get to play every night, you know, cause I almost work almost every night. Right. Uh, cause I play after every event or after every dinner. So, um, but as far as artistically, I haven't had a chance to really finish that song or work on other stuff, which, you know, we're working on a better 24 for me, um, where I can kind of delegate some stuff like the room, uh, the concert place. We're delegating more now, um, which we've done over the last year. We've done a great job and we've got people stepping up and doing the job that I used to do there. So um, I'm still the figurehead of the whole thing, but I don't have to be the chef uh, and then so I'm having more time. Uh, we're hoping in uh, in 2024 where I can work more on my music and uh, and also you know travel in the wine business and all that too. But uh, but artistically, you know, um, I you know I need a little bit more time to play guitar because that that's what really makes me happy. You know, gotcha. it makes me feel good.
0: So my last question for you: your favorite foodie city in the country? And then your favorite city overall just to visit, just a city that you just absolutely
1: love. Uh well, it could be a combo of both. I I I, okay. I love Philadelphia food. Um, I think we got some of the most talented chefs in the whole world are are embedded there. Um I say that because I get to go there a lot, you know. I'm sure New York City has it. I know I've experienced some good stuff. Um Philadelphia's less than two hours away and I can be in food heaven, foodie heaven. Um, I love, love, love Asheville, North Carolina. And that could be said about the foodie part too, but musical food, if I didn't have my, everything dug in here in in this area, the Rehoboth area, I would already have been in Asheville because I think okay. that would be super conducive for what I do, you know, okay. food, wine, and music. Um, and, uh, and I just love the vibe there. And and also Charleston and Savannah are my other two kind of go-tos. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of other cool places, but just off the top of my head, I'd say those are those are kind of like my top, my tops.
0: I, I've been to Charleston, but it's been a very long time ago, and I am just dying to go back. I just absolutely love Charleston. So it's still uh, it's have so you been strange. there in the last like since COVID? Yeah. Have you been there since COVID? Yeah, yeah I have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing great. And Savannah right down the road is even is like a little like a little a mini Charleston. They're doing great stuff. Right. But but Asheville just got such a great vibe there in the mountains. And yeah, it's just uh, and music everywhere. I mean, it is a one musical town, you know, uh, more so than most that I've been to, maybe, except for maybe Nashville, which I love Nashville, too. You know, yeah. so
0: one more question I'm sorry I did say it was the last question <laughs> okay. but as a musician with bad company and just as a musician overall you know can you remember just a, a performance that that really stuck out to you whether it was because of the venue whether it was because of just you know how you were playing whether it was the crowd you know talk about that or share that experience with our yeah, audience Yeah, there's
1: only one uh, I've had some great experiences but the, the the one that I wrote a song about called King for the Day um, King for a day, um, is when I got to go back to Buffalo, my hometown. Um, after I left in 78, I got to go back in 91 as the bass player for Bad Company. So when I left in 78, as I already said, I didn't even play an instrument yet. So so I went back to play my hometown for the first time, and it was in front of over 16,000 people. Um, one good thing about Buffalo in February, there's not a lot going on, so they made it a big deal. about me being there you know and you have to listen to the song king for a day i think it's up on my it's up on my site and uh it was it was amazing um it's where i saw my first concert in 75 which was peter frampton and jay giles and then i saw so many concerts and then i went i'm a big hockey fan so i used to go see the sabers play all the time so for me to walk in the back door uh at about one o'clock in the afternoon um uh, to see the stage up and my tech setting up my bass stuff and seeing, uh, Jill Perrault, the hockey players, Jersey hanging, uh, from the rafters. And, um, in just that whole experience of being there, uh, where I saw my first concert. Um, it it was just beyond, beyond amazing. Uh, in fact, Tommy Shaw was, uh, in the, our opening band, which was Dan Yankees. Mm -hmm. And, uh, He told me the night before or the day before, he goes, man, you only get to play your hometown for the first time, one time. He goes, just go out there and have fun, man. He goes, "Uh, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. He goes, I remember when I, I think he was from Birmingham, Alabama. He goes, when I played the first time with sticks in Birmingham, it was like unlike no other. And um, so that, that was amazing, you know, and he was on the side of the stage uh, cheering me on too it Was pretty cool. They said I was about three feet off off the off the floor that they were, I was floating around. And uh I had my whole family there, uh, my Italian family and my graduated class from high school, and um they were all stage right, and that's where my my sort of my base area was. So I'd go up there and they'd all be screaming and I had to stop looking at them because every time I looked at them, they all jumped up and started screaming. And uh, and then afterwards, you know, the parties that we went to, I had a private meet and greet with just me and my family and my friends. And then we had the main one. And then we went to a bar afterwards and played to play with that band till like four in the morning. And uh, it was pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, I, I got a smile on my face right now, just thinking about how cool that day was.
0: Yeah. So talk about for the audience that might even not been born in 91. Talk about the significance of damn Yankees and like that group. Like, because, uh, you know, a lot of people might not know anything about them. But, I mean, what a cultural significance at that time for that band to, like, you know, combine and form, right? Kind of
1: cool, because we were both there. Like, our singles had went up in the top 20, in the top, which is the Hot 100. Um, So we were feeding off each other, which was cool, because we were on tour together for almost two years. Um, Yeah, it it was a super group put together. It was cool. Uh, Tommy Shaw and Jack Blades, you know, Jack from Night Ranger, Tommy from Styx. Uh, They had been writing some stuff together. And then they, uh, I think Tommy had played with Michael Cardelloni, the drummer, who's actually been with Leonard Skinner for the last 15 years or more. Um, brought him in and then, I don't know, they brought Ted Nugent in. Uh, um, yeah, anyways, and the combination worked, uh, but mainly it was the songwriting of Tommy and, and Jack. Yeah. Um, it was the um let's see stage presence of ted nugent maybe that helped (laughs) i'm not gonna one thing i've learned in life not not to not to talk about other people um so i'll give him i'll give him the um, i'll give him the uh applause for his stage presence uh but tommy and and especially tommy really drove that band his vocals and his guitar playing were stellar and he was just, I just got to be good. We got to be kind of close out there because we stay in the same hotels a lot of time and I have breakfast with him. And he was always complimentary. Like, dude, man, you're crushing it. Just make sure you stay in front of people, you know, when this thing ends, because it's going to end. I said, I know it's going to end. And, uh, you know, we just didn't know when. And, uh, but he was, he was fabulous. Uh, they wrote some great songs. Um, and, you know, and Tommy was just an amazing singer. Yeah.
0: He really was. <laughs> or yeah, he's still alive, correct? Still
1: is. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sticks is yeah. killing it, man. Yeah. That, that new keyboard player. I love him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is amazing that these bands are still rocking and rolling and Crazy. still kicking it, man. Rolling stones. <laughs> I know,
1: man. God love them, man. I, I I think it's amazing, you know. Hey, I'm still kicking around and I'm sixty, I'll be sixty four in January. That's I'm not right. quite mm-hmm. as old as those guys. Uh, but but somehow I'm still alive after everything I went through and And, uh, and, and, you know, and I'm getting to do what I love to do. You know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate and humbled by it all. And, um, you know, I'm just hanging on, just trying to take it to another level. What the hell, you know, (laughs) I can always, I can always come back to just cook for people in their homes. That's, you know, as long as I can walk in and walk out, I'm, I'm able to do that, you know?
0: Yeah. You have your foundation. You're good. Anything else is, you know, gravy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Paul, this has been great. I hope this has been painless for you. Uh, it's been amazing for me. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Good luck the rest of the year. Um, happy holidays! Um, and yeah, tell uh, Jake and um, BJ from Lowercase too. I said hi. I, I will. I will. Known those here. guys for known those guys for almost twenty years. Uh, yeah, they're, they're great, guys. man. I
1: love them. Um, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I, obviously, I'm not I'm not shy about talking about myself. <laughs> Yeah. Uh it's fun to talk about, you know, where I've come from, you know, and it kind of, for me, kind of gives me that, yeah, you know, I, I am doing good, you know, because some days you just have those days, you know, I got too much going on. You, you don't think about how great your life actually is. And it really is, you know, um, I do. I'm better at that <laughs> trying to like, you know, yeah. So, but anyways, thanks for having me. I I, I so loved it and, uh, to talk to you and hopefully you will, we'll get you down sometime and come check out a concert.
0: Absolutely. I would look forward to it, and I appreciate the invitation, my friend.
1: For sure. All right. Happy holidays, Chad.
0: Absolutely. So everybody, you've been all great. I've been Dog. This is Paul. We are the Music Lab Podcast.